Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who often asks me if my wee boys are hanging down okay. It's Greg. <laughs> How are you today, Greg? Uh, very well. Very well indeed. It's been a busy day. It's been my daughter's, my daughter's birthday tomorrow, but we're recording this on Saturday. And every, and every good uh, 15-year-old knows that a Saturday's a better day to have your birthday party on than a Sunday. So yeah, yeah of course. Doing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, fatherly duties, which so I have, and uh, and marvelling at the difference between a fifteen-year-old boy in twenty twenty-three and my own peers when I was fifteen. They just they seem. Why? They, they, what would you say is the main difference? They just seem a lot younger. I mean, you know, when I, when I was um, when I was fifteen, I was I was going to high school in Aberdeenshire. I mean, there was there was guys there that could grow like a full beard and like. Overnight in my in my year when I was fifteen, up there, do you know what I mean? Like these farmer sons with fists as thick as big as your thighs and all that, you know. And these kids are all oh yeah, sort of Dubai little softies. I just show them all how to swing a golf club. Can you believe it? Not one of them knew how to do it. Oh, it's a scandal. Mm. It's a scandal. I mean, of course, we knew how to swing a golf club at a, a younger age, but it was more for hitting each other with <laughs> than uh, actually playing. But you're right. There was always kids like that. Yeah. I remember I, I can remember his name, Jeff, um, sitting in computing in like third or fourth year. And like he came back after summer, he had a full on fucking beard. And I'm like, <laughs> Like, not even a scraggly thing. Like, like a beard like I've got right now. Like, I was like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> no. no it's just, I used to wonder if maybe there were, like, 30-year-old guys that were infiltrating to try and get their standard grades, you know, because they fucked it up the first time. <laughs> well, it does happen. We have read about uh, stories like that, mm-hmm. so it does actually happen. But, yeah, I guess there is, a, there is a, a difference from when we were younger. Is it because, and obviously because you're in Dubai and stuff, and there's, um, there's not the same... You know, when we were kids growing up in Scotland, you know, you, you were out all the time, yeah. like in the summer and stuff, and you, you were out the house and you go to the park and muck around and you could always, you know, nip down to the, the off license and ask <laughs> someone to, to buy you some beer and stuff. But there was always stuff like that going on. So is that maybe why we felt a bit older maybe. at that time? Maybe. I mean, I was getting into like some pubs when I was 15, not all, like, you know, I didn't always pass muster with the bartender or the landlord, but there was a couple of pubs in Peterhead mm. that I always get into and never had any issue. But uh, I just, I can't imagine any of those kids like trying to get served at a bar, you know. I can't even imagine them being able to buy fags, let alone buy a pint. <laughs> <laughs> well, they want to though now, because a lot of the youngsters don't drink nowadays. No, though, do they? well, that's it. Although my daughter, um, they, my wife, um, my wife's favourite drink is vodka. That's like her. That's like her go-to. And she mm. ran out, but we did have a bottle of absolute raspberry vodka at the back of the cupboard. So Paula, my wife Paula was having one earlier on. And my daughter, whose birthday it is today, came sniffing round, and she went, "Oh, that's just." She said, "Can I smell it?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah." So she she had a smell of this, but she, oh, it smells really nice. Could I just try a tiny, tiny bit? So I said, <laughs> "Okay." So I poured her a little bit, and I turned to go and get her something to put in it, and she just knocked it. It was, I mean, it wasn't like a, but it it wasn't a shot. It was, you know, it was a, it was like a maybe like a teaspoon of, and she was like, "Oh," I said, "You're supposed to put something in it." She's like, "Oh, I didn't realize." It's, oh, she said, "It's like burning." <laughs> I said, "You don't just like." I said, "I think you just maybe there." An important lesson. <laughs> Fifteen years old and drinking straight vodka. There you go. Well, I don't think she'd be r- rushing to do that again. <laughs> oh, very good. Oh well, everything else good with you? Yep, all's good. Looking forward to talking about today's film. Yes, definitely. Looking forward mm. to that later on. So yes. But before we talk about that, 
I guess we better have a little look at what's been happening in Scotland over the last couple of weeks. Cue the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so what have you seen in the last couple of weeks in Scotland that has caught your eye? Well, my first story uh, is along the lines of which we were just discussing there. It's from the Daily Record on the 12th of June. Um, The headline reads, Joint Vape and Sweetie Store near Scots High School sparks fury from parents. Um, So this is Hazy Vape. So it's a Hayes, spell H-A-Y-Z, vape, and Hayes Candy um, on a High Street in Denny. Uh, the, the photographer has taken a picture of the shop for the paper has managed to get two schoolgirls in the picture as well, just, to, just nice. to pile the scandal on. Parents have reacted with horror to the opening of a vapes and candy shop just around the corner from a Scots high school. The store recently painted pink, um, was slammed as a disgrace and an embarrassment by locals in Denny near Falkirk. Formerly just a vape shop, the the storefront sign now reads Hayes Vape slash Hayes Candy with a teddy bear logo in the middle. It's located at a busy crossroads which includes the main route to the local high school, about a 10 minute walk up the road for school kids. One parent who wished to stay anonymous, told the record, the Hayes Vape and Hayes Candy Shop has recently been painted a bright pink colour on the outside of the building, making it stand out and be very noticeable with a huge sign advertising their vapes and sweets. It's also next door to the Candied Ice Cream Shop. I find it a disgrace that our local council would allow vape shops to open so close to a school and also to advertise and sell sweets in the same premises. I think it's disgusting. How can we prevent young people from taking up smoking vapes if we are if we are encouraging them into these brightly coloured sweet shops on their way to school? The town is already littered with rubbish and vapes and discarded all around the streets and gateways and pathways to and from the high school. It's such an embarrassment to the town. <laughs> right? It's evidently a pub next door because it's one of the big classic tea for tenant signs like sticking out the building at the edge of the picture. My council chief stressed there was nothing illegal but the branding of the store, which used to be a betting shop, but campaigners and politicians hit out at our disturbing findings and growing alarm over the widespread use of vaping products among kids, including on school premises. Recent stats show 1 in 10 15-year-old Scots admit to regularly vaping up from just 3% a few years ago. Scott's media posts from the Denny business include promotional images of a chew vape surrounded by chewy sweets. Um, so yeah, so there's a bottle of, I guess it's the stuff that you pour into the vape, you know, the sort of refill stuff. And it's uh, yeah. evidently surrounded by chewits, strawberry flavour. Ah, I think, nice. If my eyes okay. don't deceive me. Um, other updates include encouraging the use of Go Henry cards, which apparently are prepaid debit cards available for youngsters aged 6 to 18. Despite the store selling both vapes and sweets, on Facebook the company uses two different pages, one called Hayes Vape and the other one's called Hayes Candy. A post on the Hayes Candy page, but shared by Hayes Vape on April 21st, said, Hi everyone, just to let you you know that the card machine now accepts Go Henry cards. <laughs> <laughs> Sheila Duffy, the boss of health charity Ash Scotland, said, We are deeply disturbed by shops promoting sweet-flavoured vaping products in ways that are clearly targeted at children. The image of a teddy bear in the store's 
signage and a photo of a vape surrounded by sweets on the shop's Facebook page is extremely troubling. By associating vaping with the allure of candy treats, shops like these could be creating a dangerous connection in the minds of children, leading them to believe that e-cigarettes are harmless. Right, so... When I was a little boy, and my dad used to take me down to the newsagents to get my copy of the Beano, or whatever magazine or comic I was into at the time. Do you know what they sold behind the counter? <laughs> Vapes. <laughs> oh, all the cigarettes. <laughs> everything from Lambert and Butler to Kensett's Clubs and everything in between. To little candy cigarettes that you could yeah, smoke. Yeah, with the Incredible Hulk in or, the yeah. yeah, or they, they used to do the little candy ones. And then I remember there was a little upgrade ones that had, it was like chocolate, mm. like a chocolate tube. And it was wrapped in like edible paper. So it did look like a roll up <laughs> that you were smoking. That you were eating. <laughs> eating, yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, come on. It's, um, it seems like a bit of a, it does make a bit of a step too far to me. Um, you know, I think, I think sometimes we forget that kids aren't, they, they're not all idiots. Do you know what I mean? In fact, most kids these days are a lot sharper probably than we were at that age. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I wonder if it is though, like if this vape shop is selling them under the premise that, you know, it's chew it flavour mm-hmm. vape liquid that kids, you've just said that your daughter wanted to try <laughs> raspberry vodka. So... It's. It, I can see the kind of point in that, and the vapes, like if it's the, the those disposable pens, they all come in pretty yeah. colours. That you know, so I I don't know. I I think it's a bit much as long as they're the vape shop is being legal and not selling to anyone under I don't know what is it now sixteen eighteen I, I think it's eighteen the legal age of cigarettes and yeah. stuff these days. You know, when you and I were young, it was sixteen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is eighteen now. So as long as they're obeying the law and not selling them, then I don't see an issue. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's next to the pub. You know, you want to come out of the pub, nip in, get your vape, get a packet of sweeties, and (laughs) off you go. Yeah. Yeah. Away home and have a a lovely vape. I mean, something has just occurred to me there. When I was talking about, like, going to the shop, my dad and cigarettes and all that being around and stuff, and I did smoke for years. (laughs) What a cold Yeah, me too. Um, so, so maybe that is why. You're yeah. right. It's just I was always trying to get that hit again from that candy cigarette, <laughs> yeah. but I was never able to get yeah, it. It's never as good as the first time. Lovely, is it? <laughs> no, that lovely chocolatey taste with the uh, with the the edible paper it's, can never capture that. It's again. So I mean, like when I think back to like the first couple of cigarettes that I had, you know, with, with your mates and all that. I mean, the first time you smoke, it's fucking disgusting. It's fucking disgusting. But you have to pretend. That oh yeah, that's really hit the spot. You know what I mean? It's like the, it's like the kids in Stand by Me sitting around the fire. You know what I mean? Like oh, I just I love us. Nothing tastes as good as a cigarette after dinner. Do you know what I mean? But it's, you're literally just putting yourself through it until you like it. I don't know. I remember uh, probably the first drag I had in a cigarette was around at my uncle's, and a couple of my cousins were there as well. And he he was smoking a cigarette and he was about to do something and he handed, he's just like, hold this, as yeah, you yeah. do, you know? <laughs> and um, so I think it was, I was trying to show off in front of my cousin. So I had a little puff on it and um, it was a, a capstan oh. full strength, you know? The, yeah. And fucking hell, I was green and I've never felt so sick <laughs> in all my life. It's a wonder that I took it up again yeah. <laughs> a few years later. <laughs> like, you think that would have been enough to put me off for life? Fucking hell. Never smoked a capstan full strength again. But, I mean, tell the, you the, that. Those those captains full strength like navy cut cigarettes can get you high. I remember like I yeah. remember like someone had having a packet of them once and smoking. Well, not not even a whole one, just a, like a few draws and like your head's literally 
spinning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, there you go. The kids don't need vapes. They should just get a packet of caps in full strength. I wonder if you still get caps in full strength, actually. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've no idea. I'll need to find that out. Yeah, I mean, I've, I have... I have tried I've tried the old vape I, I just I, I don't like it I mean it's it seems mm. it's sort of heavier like the next day like my chest feels a bit because the thing is as well if you smoke a cigarette it's got a very de- it's got a very sort of definite beginning and end whereas with a vape mm. you just end up smoking it more you know what I mean because you're just taking a few puffs yeah. a few puffs so I, I think you actually especially if you're on a night out I think you actually smoke more if you're vaping than, mm. especially if you're somewhere like here where you don't have to go outside. You can just like, you know. Yeah. And like the next day, my chest is always fucking like, always feels really heavy. You know what I mean? Uh, which I never felt like that when yeah. I was when I was on the good stuff. <laughs> well, don't do it, kids. Just go in and get your sweets. Don't pick up a vape. Just have normal fags instead if you're going to smoke. Yeah. <laughs> if exactly. you can afford them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my first uh, story this week. What's your first story? Uh, my first story is from the Daily Record this week. And it's... Um, It's quite an interesting one. As soon as I read the headline, I thought, yep, I'm having a bit of that. So, a masked knight, as in a knight of the realm, for example. (laughs) So, a masked knight wearing a homemade suit of armour who was spotted brandishing a knife at a popular tourist spot has been jailed. Robert Souter had fashioned body armour out of old metal plates, lids, books and a chopping board before heading to Dundee Law at midnight. But his armour failed to protect him from police dog Rocky, who flushed him out of hiding in the undergrowth and sank his teeth into him. Officers had not been able to spot the black-clad knight hiding, but heard him screaming, I'm here! The dog bit me! (laughs) Souter, 37, from Dundee, admitted having a knife on Dundee Law overlooking the city shortly after midnight on the 9th of January last year. Fiscal Deputy Lynn Mannon told Dundee Sheriff Court on Tuesday that Souter was spotted on the hilltop by motorists who were driving past. He was reported to police by a number of people because of his unusual appearance and the fact he was wielding a large kitchen knife with a seven-inch blade. He was standing near the toilet block, Miss Manon said. He had a large kitchen knife in his hand and he was wearing a black face mask and jacket. Police arrived and saw the accused on the steps of the toilet block. He was holding a shiny object which was illuminated by the headlights. Officers shouted at him to drop the knife, but the accused turned and ran up the steps until he went out of sight. Uh, officers and the police dog Rocky began to track him down. They went through a densely wooded area, and ten minutes later he was traced by Rocky, lying down on the bottom of a steep slope, where he shouted, I'm here! The dog bit me! Um, Officers made their way to accused, and he was placed in handcuffs. He was wearing makeshift body armour, which consisted of metal plates containing books, a metal lid, and a chopping board. I don't understand this book's part. His defending solicitor said he was hearing voices, and it is bizarre behaviour. There is a background of drug abuse. I think that played a part. It has to be accepted that substances were taken. He fell under threat and under attack and armed himself to defend himself. The sheriff said that this is a serious crime. Uh, You were in a public place after midnight with a knife and wearing homemade body armour. I know there was an element of paranoia, but it was you who chose to take the drugs. He jailed Souter for 14 months. So that's, you know, it's fair enough. I, I understand you were having a bit of an attack, but it was you that chose to take <laughs> yeah. the drugs that caused this. I just don't understand. He was wearing body armour, which consisted of old metal plates, mm-hmm. yep. fine, pot lids, yep. fine, books, 
and a chopping board. Cooking books? Cookbooks or just novel books? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, could be. I have no idea. I mean, I hope they were hardbacks at least. Because, <laughs> you know, if you get a knife with a little paperback, especially if it's a wee one, then yeah, you're going to be in trouble I don't there. think a copy of the brooms um, is going to offer a lot of protection if someone tries to plunge you. No, definitely not. Although you could offer it to them because who could resist a copy of the brooms? Yeah, you know, a little, a quick scan. You could say, hey, come on, let's just have a seat, thrash this out and see what Pa Brune's up to. I'm sure there'll be some mishap that some mi- he's out and the family think he's dead yeah. or something, and but he's actually at the bowling club. Be some or, misunderstanding. You know, he's in the bath. With hilarious consequences. Yeah, <laughs> he's maybe at the button Ben or something. Uh, so yeah, good on uh, police dog Rocky who was able to sniff him out of the woods. Any, uh, any pictures of Rocky in the article? There's not any pictures oh. of Rocky, no. But what I want to know is the body armour must have been quite shite if Rocky was able to get through. I, I mean, I, I guess it was just from torso yeah. up. But I presume his, he didn't have his his legs um, yeah. covered in this armour but he should have but otherwise Rocky might not be able to bite him I feel like police dogs are trained to go for like the forearm right I think yeah, yeah. I think so forearm yeah. or maybe the calf but whenever you see them being trained someone's usually got like a big like arm pad on you know and the dog's like yeah yeah I guess that's maybe because it, it could be the case that it's um Maybe they're brandishing a weapon or something, and that's the um, they're thinking that the the police dog will be able to bite them yeah, and yeah. you know get them. I don't good, never mind. But anyway, so he's got uh, fourteen months to to have a little think about how he's going to craft his next Iron Man suit, <laughs> and um, you know maybe he'll be able to come up with schematics when he's in yeah. the jail. And, maybe that's uh, what he's doing right now. Maybe he's like fashioning some sort of crude suit of armor to blast his way out of whatever whatever Lomos prison or or whatever they've sent. Him. What made down with a fucking melted down toothbrush and a toilet <laughs> yeah, roll? Exactly. <laughs> what a hell of weaponry that he'll manage to sort himself out with there. Anyway, never mind. So, um, what else have you seen this week, Greg? So, very occasionally on the podcast, we have a nice story. Not that often, but occasionally Aww. we do. So, I thought for a little change of pace, I would. Uh, and it's also a bit of a public service I'm going to do here, a bit of information. So, the most rem- this is from the Daily Record on the twelfth of June as well. Uh, the most remote pub in Britain is offering free beer to anybody who takes on uh, Scott's hike. This is I'm got to, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. The Noy Noy Dart Brewery, so K N O Y Dart. I think I've pronounced it right. The Noy Art Brewery, which owns the Old Forge in Inverry will provide free beer to anyone who gets there after a 15-mile hike this summer. The Old Forge is located in the village of Inveri, Inveri, which is on the northern shore of Loch Nevis, and it's considered to be the most remote pub in Britain. Noydart Brewery, which owns the pub, will provide a free trade ale beer for anyone who takes on the challenge this summer from the 1st of July. But the trip isn't as easy as you may think as there are no official roads to the pub. The only options are to hike from Glenfinnan, which traditionally takes two days, or a sea ferry from Malague. The team behind the trade ale say it has been inspired by the mountainous landscape of the Noidart Peninsula in the Loch, which is known as the Loch of Heaven. Stephanie Harris, who works at the Old Forge, said, Having recently carried out an extensive refurb on our community-owned pub, we are looking forward to reopening the doors and welcoming folk in at the end of their epic trail over the hills, of the rough bounds to get here. Slanja. Free, uh, what does that say? Free trails, uh, which is trade ales, they're abbreviating it to trails, 
which is quite a good little marketing thing considering the hiking and everything. Free trails will be given away at the Old Forge from July the 1st. It's limited to two per person while stocks last after a partnership with sports retailer Wiggle. A limited number of non-alcoholic alternatives will also be available over the summer. Just a limited number, mind. Hugh, oh my god, he's Welsh guy. Hugh, I'm I'm going to try and say his middle name so I'll just make a cunt of it. Hugh Williams, who's the Wiggle CEO, (laughs) said at Wiggle, we're always up for it, whatever the activity, and aim to encourage the same spirit among our customers. We're delighted to have partnered with the Old Forge and Noidart Brewery to create this unique new beer while celebrating the very best of what the of what the beautiful Scottish outdoors has to offer. Visiting this remote peninsula is a special experience, and we hope that gifting hikers and punters with a trail will make it even more special. But you have to quote the word "wiggle" when you get to the bar, mm, which takes the edge off a little bit. But you still got two free beers, so. Do you have to say wiggle? I'm up for anything <laughs> when you like Hugh says, <laughs> or just say just wiggle. Say wiggle. Fifteen miles. You have to sort of orienteer your way there, I guess, since there's no roads. Yeah, you deserve a pint after yeah, that. But the thing is, you have to drink like two beers and then presumably walk back the way you came for another 15 miles. Surely you'd just get a taxi. No roads, you? mate. But it's, it's such a remote <laughs> yeah. place. So 15 miles just for a pint and then have to go back 15 miles. That's a that's a long way, but it's a great initiative, mm-hmm. I think. You know, it's getting people out there, out into the, the, fresh air, the countryside yeah. and looking at these remote places. But yeah, it's a long way to go for a mm. pipe yeah it sure is we were going to do a bit of a Scottish holiday this year weren't we we'll have to maybe try and plan it for next year yeah yeah we were mm. we were and we need to get um, yeah something planned for that because it is something that we uh, we should be doing and going to to visit famous filming yeah. locations and, and things like that and see all the lovely places that we're speaking about on the podcast yep, yep. So um, the only other perhaps detracting thing is I don't think it's a pint, Nicky. I think it's like a bottle, maybe two bottles of beer you get. Oh, oh it's a bit of a, a swizz then, isn't it? I mean, I guess there's a bit of, is there no wiggle room in the <laughs> negotiations for that? <laughs> well, I mean, what I would say to anybody who's going to do the walk is definitely say that at the bar when you ask for a third one. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Mm. Never mind. Oh, yep. feel a bit cheated. Yeah, then. I do. I was going to do it, but I've got bother now. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, never mind. We'll maybe do it next time or something. We'll see. Shocking. Never mind. Oh well, it's a good uh, little initiative. I would, I would say. say the same. Anyway, that's my second story from Scotland. Uh, what's your next one? Uh, well, my next story, Greg, is from the Scottish Sun this week, and you would probably walk fifteen miles if you had this waiting for you at the end of it. A brewery has launched a bucky beer to celebrate Scotland's love for the tonic wine. <laughs> Vault City Brewery has created the Blackberry Bucky Sesh Sour as part of its collection of new releases. The Edinburgh-based brewery uh, released three new beers, including the Bucky Sesh Sour, which comes in a can. The drink is described as a literal sour for the sesh and has the familiar aromas of sweet, dark-scented fruits and cough medicine conditioned on juicy blackberries for a big flavour and a big night. Sharing the news, the company said, Bucky, wreck the hoose juice, a bottle of tonic. (laughs) There are many names for the cultural phenomenon that inspired our latest high-voltage beer, but we've settled on Sesh Sour. Uh, The two flavours of beer are simply just Blackberry and Bucky. Um, (laughs) The the brewery took the new cans uh, to Buckfast Abbey in Devon, Um, England, where the wine is made for a series of photos on their Instagram, and they say it is their most requested beer of all time. To go with the new beer, 
the brewer has teamed up with Thick Sauce and created a Bucky Blackberry Tonic Wine Chipotle Barbecue Glaze. Mm. Uh, this collaboration comes in celebration of Thick Sauce's third birthday. And the glaze is perfect for burnt ends and washed down with your favourite tonic wine-inspired beer. Both the beer and the sauce can be bought on the Vault City website. Other new flavours released include Double Swirl Vanilla Donut and Toasted Coconut Lemon Drizzle Donut. Vault City Brewery is the largest sour beer producer in the UK and opened in 2018. Now, would you drink a Bucky beer? I think so. I I might try that, but I I don't mind a sour beer occasionally, but you can only really do one. I couldn't do that. Maybe Mm. maybe two. I couldn't do like a, I couldn't do like a session on, on like sour beers. I mean, where where does it end with this? Would you want a double vanilla swirl donut beer? No, no. I mean... What about a toast, toasted coconut lemon drizzle donut <laughs> no, beer? Definitely not. I mean, they even Brewdog, who generally I am a supporter of and enjoy their beverages. They got a few fucking. They got a few that are just out there, you know, like toasted marshmallow yeah, like flavor. Toasted yeah, marshmallow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think our mutual friend quite likes them, but not for me. Yeah, there's a few like strange ones out there, and you're just like, I just want a beer. I mean, I'm uh, drinking a can of it's a Dutch um, brewer, two chefs brewing, Funky Falcon. It's um, 0.2 percent oh, non-alcoholic oh. pale ale. They describe it as what is it? It's a super crushable beer. Well, it's 0.2 percent, so I'd mm-hmm. hope it is. With a light character, smooth bitterness, and a suave finish to make you feeling fresh. All the while boasting fabulous flavors of lemongrass and citrus, and flaunting floral aromas. With a hint of pine. I mean, that sounds like a toilet cleaner <laughs> it does, to me. Yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of household. Do product. I drink it or put it down a U bend? But it does. It, it tastes lovely. Right. Like it's really nice. And if you told me that was like a five percent beer, I would believe mm-hmm. you. But it's um yeah these descriptions and these flavors. Just just give me a beer. I mean, I don't mind if it's maybe a a beer with like a a hint of cherry. Yeah. in it or something or just on special occasions of course yeah. but i don't know if i can be arsed with all these you know fancy flavors i mean it's not even fancy it's a, a double vanilla swirl donut i mean jesus christ i mean the last time i was home in march you know like when i'm home i tend to drink quite a lot of like ipas and craft beers just just because you know they they're not as easy to come by here I and mean, when you do get them you tend to tend to be quite expensive but mm. Like the first week I was home, pretty much every night I had like a few um, of whatever it was. I was like Hazy Janes or uh, mm. Dead Pony Clubs or whatever happened to pick up at the local shop. And then the next week, uh, we were down in Newcastle and my stepdad had brought like a case of Peroni. It was in a fridge and so I had one of them and it was fucking delicious. Just like a, <laughs> just like an honest straightforward ice chilled peroni yeah it was you know like, like after a week of drinking all these different flavors and concoctions and stuff just like an old faithful it was absolutely amazing yeah, yeah. that's what you need just a little you know. i mean you know can't go wrong with an old faithful exactly. you know nice can of tenants you know you can't go wrong with that at absolutely all. not Oh, I've seen tenants for sale here. Um, oh, yeah, I saw someone on the Aberdeen group, I think, had posted it. Yeah, one of the off-licenses had it for sale. Um, they had a load of cases, so... Yeah, I need to get some. There you go. Go down and buy some. You don't have to be without, you don't have to be without it anymore. So, um, have you seen anything else this week, Greg, that has caught your eye? Uh, nope, that's the lot. Nope. The, um, the only other thing I saw was, did you see uh, that Banksy is having a... An exhibition in Glasgow. I did read about that, yeah. And did you read that he he's revealed what his favourite piece of art is? Now, 
Is it the, the Duke of Wellington statue with a cone on the head? Yeah, I read the article. Yes, it is indeed. <laughs> yeah, it is indeed. Um, so yeah, that is his um, his favourite uh, piece of art because he said it's it's just beautiful and it's free mm-hmm. and that's the um, the best thing. So I thought that was a nice little uh, a nice little tale well, there. That's, that Banksy. Well, that's like his sort of uh, this thing, isn't it? Because he always you know this sort of secretive nature of how he conducts his business and puts his his work. He always yeah. puts his work up in public places for everyone to enjoy. Yeah. You know. Um, so I, I, it makes sense that he would he would enjoy the, the the Duke of Wellington statue. Yeah, of course. Who doesn't enjoy the Duke of Wellington statue out there in all its glory for everyone to enjoy? <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, then. Well, I guess that wraps up the news for this week on the podcast. So before we go on to what we're going to be talking about today, let's have a little word from our sponsors. And our sponsors are, of course, Doric Skateboards, the skateboard brand created by Gary Kemp from Aberdeen that encourages people to get on a board, whether they're old, young, good, bad, or in the middle. Uh, The main focus of Doric is to explore the people and culture of Aberdeen and the northeast of Scotland and create designs to reflect that area. I've been a loyal customer of Doric since Gary started the brand in 2017. And this is a brand that I really am passionate about. Doric Skateboards screen print their own decks in their own studio by Gary's fair hand and they produce some amazing designs including an Annie Lennox inspired board, a Robert the Bruce deck and a plenty of pop deck inspired by the old Aberdeen trucks that used to drive around Aberdeen delivering fizzy drinks. Doric Skateboards also replicate these amazing designs on their clothing uh, on 100% organic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts and you can fill your boots on stickers, pin badges and beanies as well. Gary regularly collaborates with local artists to ensure that you can bring the latest designs to the market but always with a Doric twist including his new design the Northfield Tower with tees, hoodies and merch landing at the end of June so probably available now because uh, this episode will drop on the 29th of June so why don't you head over to Doric Skateboards on doricskateboards.com and follow them on Instagram at Doric Skateboards to see the new designs and all the other amazing designs for yourself and we are delighted to be able to offer you 15% off as listeners to this podcast. All you need to do is head to dorkskateboards.com, have a look at all the amazing decks, stickers, badges, hoodies, and tees, everything they have to offer. Enter the promo code SWALLY, that's S-W-A-L-L-Y, same as the name of this podcast, all in block capitals, and get your 15% off. Dorkskateboards.com. So Greg, this is the point of the show where normally I would say to you, it was your choice, what we're going to be talking about, or you would say to me it was my choice. However, the choice on the swally today actually came from Gary at Doric Skateboards uh, in an interview that I did with him a couple of episodes ago. And you would have heard at the end of the last episode that he's asked us to look at the 1998 film directed by Ken Loach, My Name is Joe. Starring Peter Mullen, Louise Goodall, Dave Mackay, Gary Lewis, David Heyman, and a wee role for Swally stalwart Stephen McCall. Uh, the film was written by Paul Laverty, who uh, Loach has collaborated with on, I think, every film he's done since 1996's Carla's song. Mm. The film tells the tale of two 30-somethings, unemployed former alcoholic Joe, who manages his local football team full of recovering addicts, and Sarah, a community health worker. When the two start a little bit of a romantic relationship in one of the toughest Glasgow areas, things don't quite always go as rosy as they should as Joe battles his past and tries to keep on the straight and narrow. So, Greg, my name is Joe. I can't believe it's taken us so long to get to this (laughs) absolute classic. Mm. What's your first memories of the film? Because obviously it's not the first time that you've seen this. Where were you when you first saw it and what are your memories of it? Um, I remember... 
I remember Peter Mullen before I saw the film. I remember him uh, winning the uh, I think it was the best actor at the Cannes Film Festival, mm. I believe. Um, for yeah, his performance um, and him being there in like the full tartan regalia with um, some other members of the cast and the production team. I remember thinking, "Oh, we need to see that." And it took me a while to see it, and I actually rented it. I watched it with my dad. I rented it from um, at the video shop. I think we, I think we rented Orphans and My Name Is Joe <laughs> the same night, just to make sure. Wow. Yeah, it was a, it was a right fucking laugh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, if if not on the same night, then certainly. Um, quite close uh, together so yeah that was the first time I'd seen it and I remember I remember feeling I mean I've seen it I've not it's not a film that I've watched hundreds of times I've watched it probably less than a handful of times maybe this might even be only be the third or fourth time that I've watched it um, mm. but a feeling that was with me the very first time I watched it that was still with me when I watched it this time and it's been many 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 years since I last watched it is from the very moment um, Joe meets um, Sarah, played by uh, Louise Goodall, you know that it's going to end fucking badly. <laughs> you just know, yeah. like, instinctively. You, you, you know, it's just, it's, it's 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 all going too well, you know what I mean? And there's just this the, the, this sort of, like, shadow growing across it um, and across the film. That said, it's still a fucking brilliant film, you know what I mean? But it's definitely not a film that you're going to stick on when there's when you don't have anything else to watch, you know what I mean? It's you've, I think you have to be you you have to be ready for it. I think and um, normally I'll watch whatever we're whatever we're going to review it for the podcast. I'll watch it maybe twice in the week that we record. I kept putting this off to the point <laughs> where I ended up sort of surreptitiously watching it at work on my phone in my little office corner where no one could see me, and I only watched and just watching it the one time and just making all my notes and stuff. Then so I, I just I, there's no way I could have watched it twice in a week. It's just Aww. it's 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 too powerful a film that you're fucked yeah. at the end of it. You know? Yeah, I uh, I know exactly what you mean. I I was the same as you. I think I, I'd rented it just after it had come out on video i remember it must have been 99 or 2000 but i, I remember vividly renting this and I, I it's one of those films i remember watching it for the first time and, and exactly kind of where i was and just being absolutely blown away by this film it was just just incredible and same as you i think it was just a handful of times maybe maybe twice i think i'd watched it and because as you say it just it's such a a powerful film it really does just sucker punch you and as you say ken loach isn't exactly the man you seek out if you're looking for a, a light-hearted romantic comedy no. um you, you kind of know what you're going to be getting when you're watching a ken loach film thankfully because i'd i'd spoken to gary a few weeks ago i watched this about a month ago right. myself just to to preempt because it must have been about 20 years since i'd seen yeah. it and i have to say watching it and uh, my wife was away so i just sat and watched it myself I think it was one Saturday night, you know, what a great night <laughs> entertainment, sitting in myself watching My Name is Joe. And it just blew me away again because this film is just incredible. And I did watch it again this week to to make my notes because I, I didn't make any notes when I watched it a few weeks ago because I wanted to really just enjoy it and absorb it mm -hmm. and not have to, you know, stop and write stuff down and pause as you, you I usually do when I'm making notes so I just took it all in and then watched it again this week to to make notes I mean there's a lot of serious topics covered in this film you know it's about alcoholism and, and poverty unemployment drug abuse domestic violence a lot of which are Ken Loach staples of course yeah. but um but there's a story in here with just such warmth and humor and you just become so invested into the characters and and that's something that I think 
Ken Loach does so well in a lot of his films. He builds these characters up that you you really care for them and you you want them to do well and you really you know it shows their soft side of the characters and they're a good person and then he just sets fire to their world yeah. or in Sweet Sixteen's case to their caravan <laughs> yeah. and you you're so devastated when the the inevitable house of cards falls down and, and it's just a master stroke of, of the way that he can do that in these films yeah and the thing is as well like he's 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 got a tend you know i think his his process is you know i think he encourages quite a lot of improvisation with the actors yes. and, and stuff like that do you know what i mean i yeah. mean i think that's that's definitely his, his his process i mean it's difficult for me i always when I think of My Name is Joe, I always think of Orphan as well. And, it, mm. you know, obviously because of the Peter Mullen connection, but because I watched them both very close together. And Orphans is is a, is a like a powerful film too, but I, I never feel as like, I never feel as sort of exhausted at the end of Orphans because the ending is quite upbeat. You know, like the mm. siblings like, walking away from the from the grave, um, and you know, sort of having a bit of a crack and everything. And you sort of feel like, well, it might not be perfect, but I think these guys will be okay. Whereas yeah, they've got each other. Yeah, they've got each other. Whereas at the end of My Name Is Joe, um, spoilers for anyone who's not seen it, it's a very ambiguous ending. I mean, it's sort mm. of. It suggests a bit of well, maybe things will work out for Joe and Sarah. Maybe you know, maybe there's maybe the the dreadful, the the terrible incident that ends the film that kind of brings them back together. Maybe they'll make something good will come of it potentially. But you know, he doesn't. You know, it's it's not certain. You know what I mean? And and like I remember the first time I saw the film. You know, Peter Mullen. He, you know, you, I think, and I think it's because of that first scene when we see him at the alcohol and all, the AA meeting, and he's talking about how he came to sobriety. Mm. You know, like I remember being really shocked, like when he falls off the wagon in the third act toward the end, um, yeah. and even in the flashback scene when he's describing the incident that finally pushed him to give up drinking after beating up his ex-girlfriend and everything. You know, he's a different character when he's drunk. You know, like when he's yeah. Like, yeah. through the majority of the film, obviously he's sober and he's a, he's a fucking great guy. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's full of energy. He's, you know, he cares for Liam and Sabine and, you know, he obviously falls in love with Sarah and he's just, you know, just even when you see him interacting in the little sort of throwaway moments when he's being served at a shop or he's talking to somebody in the surgery or whatever and asking where Sarah is. You know, like he's, I, I can completely understand why he was recognised for this performance. It can. Hmm. Because it, it's, I mean, you could, we've met guys like him in any city in, in the UK, let alone Scotland, there are guys like him. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and you know, I'm sure you and I have known people through the years that maybe haven't been alcoholics, but when they're drunk, they're yeah. completely different. You know what I mean? Like some people, when they drink, like their personality can change. Don't necessarily become violent or or whatever, but you know, but they are different to how they are when they're sober. You know, like some like, it just affects people in that way. Some people. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think the, I mean, bang the opening performance. Of course, the the opening performance, the um, the opening um speech that he delivers at the the AA mm-hmm. meeting is so powerful, and you're you're straight on with um with the character and and the struggles that he's had, and they do such a good job in terms of the you know then it's straight into um banging on the door, open up, police, yeah, yeah. and everyone jumping out the windows, and it's the football team, and he's having a laugh with them, and you can tell he's got a good relationship with the boys and. 
a great relationship with um, with his, his best mate uh, Shanks, yeah. played by Gary Lewis. Yeah. You know, oh, Christ, I'll talk about them later. I want a spin-off, you know, of those <laughs> two in some way. They're just brilliant together in the chemistry. And you're right, Joe comes across, he's got the patter when he's speaking to Sarah, he's, he's you know, flirting with her, but, you know, being cheeky, but in a playful way, and you know, he's being really nice to her, and you can tell he's, he's a genuine guy, he mm. really cares. As you say, when he's, he's drunk, he's got a different side to mm. him, but is there something underlying in him? Because when he sees the guy from the social with the camera, he snaps. Yeah. And he, he runs down and, you know, it's a cunt from the social and he's painting all over his car and smacking him with a paintbrush. Is that, a, you know, there is something similar and underneath it yeah. and it just comes out when he's drunk. Yeah. And then also like, the scene in the pub toward the end when he's he goes to see David Heyman, David Heyman's character, mm. uh, McGowan, to say, look, you know, yeah. I'm out, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, they, when uh, Mojo threatens to, like, shoot Shag Sarah, he's you know, he just he's quick to violence, Joe. And yeah. and he fuck he fucking claims everyone. <laughs> Do you know what oh, I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like Liam Neeson <laughs> taking yeah. or something. He just absolutely wipes everyone out in that <laughs> bar. Um, Fantastic. But what what I think, you know, and whether this is from the script or whether it's Peter Mullins and the other and the rest of the cast sort of keen uh sense of character and improvisation but you know they there's i think when he first takes sarah back to his house after she gets locked out and he's got some little reminders of when he was younger around the house mm. including when he was in a band and he won a talent mm. show and stuff and you know there's there's all these little sort of these little kind of indicate indicators toward maybe wasted potential you know yeah they, you, exactly you know the way he is he's he's very energetic he's you know he's a, he's an upbeat character he's you know he's quick with a joke and stuff like that and you know and he's he's obviously got a lot of love to give you know he falls for Sarah really quickly much to her sort of discomfort um but um yeah but this sort of this sort of suggestion of um, what could have been for him had he not sort of fallen down um, the, the sort of alcohol hole, if you like. And I think he, he recognises that when he's speaking to Shanks and about Sarah and he's effectively, you know, he says to her, you know, she's she's got her own house, she's got a job, she's got a pension, she's got a car. Mm-hmm. I'm 37, I'll be 38 soon. I've got nothing, mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. And he realises that he's pissed his life up against the wall, effectively. And it is about what he's lost and and what he could have done but you're right he does i guess hold on to to those memories that he had when he was younger yeah you know and it's a it's a nice uh little scene that when shanks is trying to encourage him to ask her out mm. and he's suggesting things that they could do is that you know you, you could take, you could take her for a meal i think i think he says well how, how much how much we think that would cost so a mm. meal for two it's probably going to cost about 25 quid i'm thinking it's not bad <laughs> You know, it's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, suppose. It's 1998. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. But then, you oh. know, he's like, well, what about um, going to the pictures? And he's like, no, I, I, I can't sit still that long, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, you know, they, that's when you start to, you know, that's when you get a bit, a bit more of an indication of what his life's like, you know, because he never stops moving. Up to that point, no. when he's sitting playing chess with Shanks, uh, he's working there and they're talking about how he, up until that point, he's moving all the time. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's, he's, he gets up from the meeting, he drives to get the team, as you described already, then they go to the, he has that exchange with Sarah outside Liam's, then he's at, then he's at the park watching the game and everything, and then, you know, it's just, he never stops until, yeah. and then and then he's painting the house and everything, and, and you're like, right. You know. But even in the, the quiet moments that he's maybe having with Shanks or with Sarah, he's, he's often, you know, smoking a cigarette and, you know, yeah. his hands are 
always moving. He's always he's, occupied. He's always, yeah. it's, it's, it's like he's got like a, not a twitch, but it's a nervous kind of mm. maybe, he always has to, you know, be moving or, or doing something. And you can imagine he's, he's probably, leg is probably tapping yeah. under the table or something. It's just that kind of energy that he has that he needs to, to maybe let it out in some way and it's as you say it's just an absolutely masterful performance from Peter Mullen in this role I, th- I think he knows I think Peter Mullen Peter not necessarily through experiences that he's had himself but, but I think his father was an alcoholic or his father certainly mm. had problems with alcohol because um, I know he, he's actually born in Peterhead but they, they moved to, mm. to Glasgow when he was quite young so I think he essentially grew up in Glasgow I think his father was often unemployed and was a drinker and then you know he, he plays an alcoholic again but not a recovering alcoholic in Ned's as the mm. kind of belligerent father so I, th- I think it's yeah. it's a, a character it's a type of character that he knows well and, and all those little subtleties that that you've just described you know your hands need to be occupied can't stop moving yeah. legs twitching all that sort of stuff you know that I, I, I think you would really have to know that world to be able to portray it the way peter mullen does yeah no definitely and you have to think when mullen is at the top of his game in something like this you know as an actor or a scottish actor you must just watch him and be like oh, what's the point <laughs> why do i even bother <laughs> You know, I know we've had the debate a few times in the Swally of is is it Mullen or is it Cox? You know, mm. is the probably the greatest Scottish actor? I mean, I think it it has to be Mullen. I've 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 often swayed with Cox purely because I think it's because it likes a Bob serve. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm kind of like I can't see Peter Mullen doing a role like that, no. and that's why I think Cox because he has the the range, so to speak. Mm. However, you know Mullins. However, yeah, a, a lot of the stuff Cox does is maybe a bit tongue in cheek, and and it is you know when you think back to you know, I guess things like Rob Roy, for example, yeah, or yeah. even his performance in A Shot at Glory, um, <laughs> or even Succession. You know, is kind of a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Mullen has done comedic stuff. I mean, of course, the steamy. Uh-huh. He's brilliant as Andy. If you excuse the blackface at the end, he's <laughs> you know he's fantastic in that role. Again, playing a bit of a drunk. Yeah. So it's yeah, maybe seen a trend here. <laughs> <laughs> for I think with Cox, I think you know, I can't imagine Brian Cox doing a uh, like a, a Ken Loach film, like that type of production no. where you know, like I read, I read his autobiography last year, last year, yeah, last year, and he's he's sort of a classical actor, Cox. You know, what I mean, he's you know, like very, you know, he started his career on the stage, still performs on the stage when he's not. Um, making films or, or TV series. You know, and, and certainly his passion lies in like stuff like the Royal Shakespeare Company and, and, and that sort of thing. I can't imagine him playing a character like Joe, you know, when... And I just... I, and it's not... I don't. It's not that I don't think he could do it. I just think it's... I just think that he... Is, you know, he, his... You know, his passions lie elsewhere. I think... I think Mullen is interested in playing... Or he certainly was around about this time. He's sort of become... A bit of an international star, hasn't he? But um, mm. I think around about this time, I think he was interested in playing what he would probably describe himself as kind of real people, you know, and 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 explore exploring. I mean, I was there. What I kept thinking about when I was watching this was uh, Tyrannosaur, his the film that yeah. he did with Paddy Considine, where mm. I don't think his character Joseph in Tyrannosaur, I don't think he's an alcoholic as such, but he's I guess for what Roberto description he's a he's a he's a waster who spends a lot of his time in the pub, you know? And yeah. 
and he's got anger issues and everything else. And I think those are the types of characters that Merlin enjoys playing. Like, you know, I think that's where his passion lies. I think, you know, he'll do stuff like Ozark and he'll probably, he probably quite enjoys doing stuff like that as well. And he was in that new Lord of the Rings series that was on Amazon recently, although I watched that and but then he, I think he must have played one of the dwarfs because all the dwarfs are Scottish and they're under heavy makeup <laughs> and everything. So, um, wait, so wait, whereas Cox's passion lie, I think Cox's passion lies in the Shakespearean roles and classical, like Harold Pinter roles and classical stage roles and things. I think Mullen's passion lies in playing characters like Joe and Joseph and Tyrannosaur and probably Johnny Swan and Trainspotting and the dad and Ned's. Mm. I think that's what that's what he enjoys about acting the most, you know? I think the level of performance that he gives in some of the scenes, I think that's why this film's so powerful as well, because you're just totally invested in the characters but it's so real mm. and uh, you know a lot of Ken Loach films are of course you know dripping in realism but it's just the little things and as you said I think uh, some of the actors probably they did improvise a few scenes yeah. but you know, I'm spotting a few bits that when I think Joe goes into the health centre to to thank um, Sarah for sending a letter to the social yeah. and she comes running out after him and they're, they're speaking in the street and the wind's in Sarah's hair and face and she's flicking her head yeah. and like that's that is the most natural thing to do but you never see that in a film because the director would be like cut we didn't see your face yeah, there yeah, yeah. for that second yeah. can you not do that or can you can you move can you move it with your your left hand you know don't swing your head round which is the natural thing to do and it's just subtle little things like that mm -hmm. that you know are in a Ken Loach film that, that just makes it so much more realistic and you're so much more invested and you feel like you're watching real life rather than a film Mm. And the scenes that you have with with Joe and Sarah again, it's just so natural that the when he stays for a pizza and and the glass of wines in front of him, and they're playing that like in a little music quiz. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly the type of thing you would expect. Mm -hmm. And when she does say, you know, the cheers, and the way he just says, oh, "I don't drink, I'm an alcoholic," you know, her reaction is just, "Oh, okay." But you're kind of heartbroken for Joe in that second because you're thinking, "How's she going to react? Like, is she going to take this okay?" And he's sharing something with her yeah. that is obviously very close to him and you could tell he's been worried about yeah. telling her or, or saying that to her and it's almost like oh it's out and she's she's okay with it well cheers i don't drink sarah well, why didn't you say i'm an alcoholic mm. how long have you been off about 10 months nearly a year right need any help I mean, yeah, it's good. Long way to go. Mm. I'm too nosy now. <laughs> no, it's alright. No, it's good. It's fine. I like it. You're direct. Don't mess about. Yeah, he's he's a bit ashamed, you know, and obviously worried yeah. about what her reaction is going to be. But I think I like I, I like the way that Louise Goodall uh, played it, w whether it was a, it, it was workshopped or whether it was in the script. She's you know like she's a she's a health visitor, right? So she sees mm. you know she and she you know she works in this as the internet describes tough Glasgow neighbourhood. Um, yeah. You know, so but which is you know she's experienced. She's probably got experience of people like him, and she's she's very sort of she's not blasé about it, but she's very sort of accepting of it like straight away. You know, and she apologises for pouring a glass of wine and everything. And you know, and the thing is as well, like to your point about Ken Loach, in another director's hands, that scene we could have had Joe with like, looking at the glass of wine, beads of sweat like going down yeah. his temples and stuff. And it's not like that, you know. I mean, it's I think in that moment, 
I think, again, it's maybe a bit of a callback to that moment which shocked me so much when he fell off the wagon. First time I saw the film, when he falls off the wagon later on, towards the end, is his self-control when that glass of wine's in mm. front of him. Because I even think even, I think he even picks it up at one point when he's talking to her about it and sets it back down, or maybe I can't quite remember. But, you know, it's not like a big dramatic, you know, they like, got holding his hand back from picking up the glass, you know, or whatever, or, or you know, sort of existential struggle. Um, he's just kind of, yeah, you know, I, I can't, um, I can't, I, I can't drink it. I'm a, I'm an alcoholic. Um, yeah, then, you know, we talk, it's, yeah. it's exactly as you say, in the, in the hands of someone else, it might have been like that, mm. but he's sitting, I think he's dinging the glass as they're playing their kind of little music yeah, yeah. game. And, and it's when Sarah's phone rings, she sort of points it to the full glass and says, is that wrong? Yeah. And, goes on the phone and then joe gets up and paces around the kitchen but i didn't think it was like he's like oh god you know uh, oh i want to drink that wine i took that as he's like right i'm gonna have to tell her yeah, yeah. or or just the fact of his nervous energy that he just has to get up and pace about because she's not there to interact with yeah so he's on his own yeah. so he has to do something and it just it looked like the most natural thing in the world for him to get up and pace about yeah 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 again and it just goes back to these little sort of subtleties of movement and uh, character and stuff that only an actor who really knows that type of individual would be able to to like put on the screen you know mm. and obviously the i mean the relationship between the two the the powerfulness of, of when he is explaining to her why he doesn't drink and effectively what happened to to drive him to and you know, their relationships, that's so much blossoming. I mean, I guess that's their first date, the evening of the first date that they've been on because she gets locked out and they go back to his, makes a cup of tea, and he explains why he doesn't drink and says because he had a, a violent outburst with his, mm. his ex or girl he used to drink with. And that shamed him so much. And again, he's he's opening up to her about that. Now, I was I was quite surprised in a way that they put in the, the scene because... To jump back to the very beginning of of Joe's speech that he gives in the AA meeting, it's so powerful yeah. and it's so raw, and I love that. In, in any other, say, in any other director, we'll probably say that a lot. It, you would have had maybe a Joe just sitting there solemnly and the voiceover playing as it, and it looks round everyone else, or <clears throat> you would have like flashbacks or or like a montage of his drinking mm-hmm. during the days with his voiceover. But no, he's just sat there in this um this room, this coughing, this chair scraping, this it just feels dirty and raw and it's it's so you know well done. So when he's telling Sarah about what happened, I was quite surprised that they had like a flashback that you see yeah. him in the stairwell with a girl and then you see him hitting her. And I can't decide if I like that part or not. Maybe you did need to see it to really give you that powerful image to really understand what he'd done. But I think Mullen just telling her is, is almost enough. I, I, I'm genuinely not sure if that flashback was needed. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of agree with you, but I also kind of wonder if it was important to show what Joe was like when he was when he was when he was drinking. Maybe maybe, maybe that maybe that was behind the decision. Um, you know, to show that you know because the the Joe that you see in the flashback. I mean, I think that comes about half an hour or so into the film. That's not the Joe that we've just spent half an hour with. You know what I mean? This, no. this is a different guy, and again, it underlines. Maybe it serves to underline the change in his personality when he's when he was drinking and 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 how he and why it was so important for him to realize that he couldn't he couldn't keep going like that and that's the thing when he is telling you this because by that point we've spent enough time with Joe and we yeah. know his character that when he is telling her and we are seeing it we are thinking that's that's not you Joe yeah, why, yeah. why would you do that yeah, yeah. that's that's not you 
Yeah. And I think there's something that another part of the film that it, it's Sarah's backstory because there's something there and it's hinted upon a couple of times, mm-hmm. but we never actually find out what it is. When Joe tells her about what he'd done and she does say to him, you've never forgiven yourself. Yeah. I know about that as well. Yeah. And later on when he's he gives her the ring and and says that um he loves her she says like if you knew you wouldn't be saying this mm-hmm. but that's never explored we don't know what what she's hiding you know all we know is her dad died like 14 months ago mm-hmm. but it, it is it that it can't be that there's something going on with sarah's life as well but we don't need to to find out what it is yeah and like she, you know, the like the moments of high emotion for her, she kind of, you know, like when when she's, you know, all through the rest of the film, she's quite kind of poised to a point. You know, she's relaxed. She's has a laugh with Joe and everything. But the the moments of high emotion, like that, the scene that you've just described, and then the scene later when she comes back to Joe's flat to try and sort of reconcile, and then Liam comes and Joe gets caught in the lie and everything. You know, and she's she she sort of shouts, "Leave me!" Like a sort of little girl would say if she, you know, like well in Glasgow, like that, leave me, leave me. You know, it's it's the sort of like that to me sort of it made me think, you know, that perhaps she is also maybe she's sort of playing a bit of a character with Joe, not because she's trying to deceive him in any way, but because she's trying to project a certain personality. And then these moments mm. of high emotion. Like you know, like she smashes something up in, in Joe's flat when she finds out that he's been lying to her. You know, so she's, you know, she's like highly emotional, you know, and I don't know if that's supposed to be because, you know, just before that, not just earlier before we find out that she's pregnant. So is it it supposed to be something to do with the fact that she's newly pregnant or does she have some emotional sort of complex issues? Like to your point, we don't, you know, the director doesn't feel that we need to go into it because the film is, it's about Joe, you know, it's about this man that's that's trying to that's trying to get to grips with a bit with a new life um which doesn't include alcohol which has defined his life up until the sort of 10 months or so before the before we we, we meet him in the film and i think that's the also the thing she does say um when she's speaking to joe and confronting him i can't remember the exact line but she does say are you lying to me are you lying to me tell me the truth or i'll break something yeah. so when liam comes and she, she smashes something and then she's throwing her bag against the wall she's you know for to say that tell me the truth or i'll break something yeah that's it again as you've said it's quite a childlike thing to to sort of say yeah yeah and it's surprising because up until you know like through the whole film apart from when he gives her the ring and the way she reacts then that scene you know she's quite a sort of calm and collected character he, he, even mm. at the very beginning when we first meet her when he kind of mm. rubs her up the wrong way when he's trying to get he's wants Liam to come to the game, she needs him to stay for the health visit. You know, she he, he calls her a lassie, she says, don't call me a lassie and everything. But she's still mm. quite in control and composed and even in those moments. In the, in the, in the scene, which I think is one of the best scenes in the film, by the way, and, and Peter Mullen's not in it, but the scene in the in the doctor's surgery when Sabine's fucking kicking off because mm. she wants to put her cigarette out and then she wants her prescription and everything. Even in that scene, she's, she's the professional health visitor mm. trying to calm the situation yeah. down she tries to fight Sabine's corner despite the way she's behaved with the doctor and everything but then these moments when she's with Joe when you know she's she becomes almost somebody else as well to a point you know? yeah no it's a very good point I agree with that yeah yeah very true I mean would you put your cigarette if uh, Lorraine from Deacon Blue asked you to I mean there's not much that I wouldn't do if Lorraine from Deacon Blue asked me um <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I mean, I, I've always thought, I know she's getting older, but I've always thought that she is a strikingly beautiful yeah. woman. That sort of black hair and, and you know, just their features and everything. And she's been, she's excellent in this. I think this is one of her early mm. 40s into acting before she did a few years in River City. And, and she's great. Um you know, is Maggie her character's name, right? She, uh, it's Louise's one. Yes. Um, yeah, she's great, and it's 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 great to see her. I, I did see her at Glasgow Airport once when I was flying to Belfast. Um, I saw her in W. H. Smith buying a copy of The Woman's Own, but I, oh. I wouldn't dare approach her. I was would be far too shy to. But well, well, back in those days, anyway. <laughs> so obviously, we have Joe and Sarah's relationship which goes through its up and downs but my other favorite relationship that we have in the film is joe and shanks yeah. <laughs> and shanks played by gary lewis and they're just fantastic together and you could tell you know really good friends and of course shanks is one of the first people joe mentions in the mm-hmm. film because it was shanks that made him come to AA, and then it was shanks five years later that made him come back he owes a lot to Shanks, and you see a lot of the the interaction with them together. It's great at the at the football when they're they're just standing on the sidelines with each other. But it's the the little quiet moments they have together yeah, that yeah. just so much. And when they're decorating the <laughs> the flat and the way they they realise that they can't hang wallpaper, and as long as there's no ceilings, and then it cuts <laughs> the ceiling, and the scene of them talking Sarah out of, <laughs> yeah. of putting paper on the ceiling is just it's just brilliant. The um the banter that they have with each other. I've been in again for a while. I just tell you, you know, in my experience, it's not a good idea putting paper on the ceiling. No, no, on these old houses, man. No. no. Yeah, but I, I mean, I just thought if we put the lining paper up, it would cover the cracks and then paint over it. Well, that sounds alright in theory, but I don't know. It should be okay. Who, who, who's upstairs? Uh, a couple of students. Students? Nah, it's not, not so good. Bad news, nah. bad news. You're talking about parties and stuff, Sarah. You're looking at a lot of vibrations. I mean, a lot of people don't realise how delicate these old ceilings are, you know? Plus, there's a men's room here. Aye, and there's the continuous uh, S- uh, settlement. Uh, settlement, you know? Uh, I mean, you, you look I mean, from the window to the door there. I mean, you're talking about that's a big slope. I mean, I'd give it, what, oof, three months before the wallpaper started coming down. If that. If that, you know? Yeah. And it has to be a. I wonder if that was scripted that line. I, I hope it was, or if it was improvised. When he's hanging the wallpaper and Gary Lewis's trousers are falling <laughs> yeah. down, and Joe says it's like Yule Brenner with an axe through his head. <laughs> uh, just <laughs> I've got that written down as well. <laughs> But as you said earlier, the, the scene you mentioned where Shanks gives him the 20 quid to, to go on the date with Sarah and he encourages to ask her out. And then, of course, the the later scene with the two of them, once Shanks finds out yeah. that he's he's working for McGowan, the, the kind of the, the volley of abuse he gives him and, and the way some of the, the, the swear words and, and words he comes out with, you know, about the, what was it like being a, a member of the McGowan club mm. or something along those lines? It's, um yeah, it's kind of trying to bring Joe back down to earth and of course when Joe when Sarah storms out he's the first person that Joe calls yeah. but of course he doesn't get a hold of yeah, him unfortunately yeah, yeah. I mean I, I, you do I do get a sense that Peter Mullen and Gary Lewis are mates anyway yeah. you know but you know like the you know we Shanks is there a lot and then when Joe and Sarah's relationship sort of gets a bit of momentum, we don't see him so much. But then to your no. to your point, you know, the Shanks is the one that you know, Shanks is obviously his sponsor. And we don't know if mm. he's had if he's had issues with alcohol in the past or not, or if he's just Joe's mate and he's just been looking out for him and trying to support him and encourage him for all these years but yeah like that that, that moment when, when when he calls uh, Shanks up but it's the message on the answer machine when he says <laughs> <laughs> Shanks 
<laughs> even in this moment, this like ha- this <laughs> moment of like high drama, <laughs> Shanks' answer machine message says, "Please, <laughs> please speak slowly because this machine runs really quickly," or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it has to make you laugh but as you say i think they are very good friends because you can tell that that relationship the you know kind of banter between them is just so natural and yeah. there's, there's nothing forced there at all in fact there's nothing really forced in this film at all no. everything is just seems so um so natural well i mean there's, there's there's a kind of company of actors there you know you've got you've got mullen and lewis obviously then you've got you've got dave mckay is liam you've got Stephen mccall you've got david Heyman. you know who's a you know, Heyman is sort of, by the time he comes in this film, he's kind of the, I don't know, the sort of old man of Scottish films, even though he's not yeah. that old <laughs> at the point, at that point, you know, but he's just been around for such a long time. And I, I always kind of get the feeling, I mean, I've been lucky enough to meet David Heyman and, uh, and Gary Lewis on two separate occasions, but I've always got the impression that, you know, there is a sort of collective of Scottish actors, like I think Robert Carlyle's probably in there too, that, you know, that they, they know each other and like to work with yeah. each other and and everything and and have a very you know and there's a chemistry that comes out of that on the screen you know like i mean orphans is a great example yeah. you know got doogie henshaw there stephen mccall who was a young actor you know like gary lewis those three guys are fucking you know they are fucking swinging in that film yeah you know, yeah. they even and they don't share a, like a huge amount of screen time together apart from at the beginning and at the end, but they're fucking swinging. And it's the same in this one as well. Like, yeah, you know, and and the character of Shanks, he's not like a exuberant sort of gregarious character. You know, he's got he's got a bit of a dry wit, but you do get a feeling that he's your mate. You know what I mean? You yeah. Know, if, yeah. If you need somebody, huge. If you need somebody to come and give you a dig out or whatever he's he's the one you're going to phone up you know yeah definitely agree with you on that um and of course you're mentioning all the the heavyweights that are in this in terms of you know mullen mckay Heyman, lewis um mccall and they even managed to give their mate rab affleck a tiny little role mm. uh a yes. blink and you'll miss it yeah. is the, the truck driver yeah. <laughs> and locked in the back of a truck. I'm pretty sure Big Rab would have been able to overpower them yeah, um, exactly. in the back of that it's truck. Punched, um, punched a hole in the fucking shutter and ripped it open with his bare hands. <laughs> um, so, Dave Mackay is Liam. Has Dave Mackay ever been better than he is in this film? He's phenomenal. Oh, he's, yeah, he's as fantastic. Liam. He's really good at it. Like, absolutely incredible. Goes toe-to-toe with Mullet mm-hmm. in, you know, all the scenes he's in. And didn't, you know, I wasn't taken out of it at all. If you think back to... Because it was Mullen and Mackay in Braveheart that were always the two of them yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. wasn't it yeah and if you think about dave mckay in that and of course what was four years previously mm. when he's delivering his lines but the english are so many and mm. we are so we it's a bit stilted yeah and you think in that four years he has learned and developed so much yeah. and i wonder if mullen took him under his wing you know a fair bit he's he's just phenomenal in this film yeah absolutely brilliant yeah but i mean in fairness, I mean, like, like Mullen and Mackay's script in Braveheart, you know, it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, know, <laughs> you, you don't watch Braveheart for the for the realism and the and the fucking dynamic banter. You watch it for the you know for all the other reasons. No, yeah, he's fantastic, and I think Mackay was supposed to play. 
um, Steve McCall's character in Orphans, I think, and I don't. Oh, and then okay. there, something happened that, that stopped him from doing it. I can't remember exactly what it was. Steve McCall sort of stepped in, but yeah, I mean, he's he's fantastic in it, and 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 the scenes with him and Sabine. By the way, the actress mm. who plays Sabine, I think, is fucking really good in this. I mean, there's she, I, yeah. you know, she is she's very very true to life. You know, I, I don't mm. think she's done um, the actress. What's her name here? Le- Anne Marie Kennedy. I don't think she's done a. Great great deal of other of acting sort of previously or subsequently maybe little bits and bobs here and there but you know she's really good i mean that scene i mentioned earlier in the in the doctor's surgery when she fucking kicks off and then the scene yeah. when uh, joe comes in and she's sitting in the bathroom and you know try to like get a vein up to, to do a shot smack do you know what i mean like she, she's fucking brilliant i mean that's a in the yeah not a lot is said in that scene um, but just between the two of them but she's really really good in it and you know when she comes back and that scene with her and Liam and they have the they have the argument because she's been up she's she's been up the tune and he thinks that she's been um, she's been in the game and mm. getting money you know being, being sort of prostituting and stuff up there Um yeah, she's fucking brilliant. And and again, sorry to fucking go on, but like the scene earlier on between her and uh, Sarah, when you know Sarah's examining the wee boy, and mm. she's saying, you know, Liam reads to him every night. It's me who lets him down. You yeah. know what I mean? Heartbreaking. Yeah, heartbreaking. Absolutely, absolutely that part. And um, yeah, it was it was when I was rewatching it, I, I picked up on that because I kind of missed that a little bit mm-hmm. um, on first viewing. But yeah, picking it up, it, it it really broke my heart. Her saying that, and you think, well, you know. Yeah. So, but it, it's difficult, of course, yeah, you know, when you're struggling with addiction. When and, you're in, I mean, yeah. The, the, there's a moment. There's a moment just before the scene with her and uh, Joe in the bathroom when Joe's coming up the stairs in the close, and the wee mm. girl, the wee neighbor girl, has got the wee boy, and she's sort mm. of hugging him on the on the stairs, and you know, Joe speaks to her, and she's you know, and he's out in his own and everything. And I don't, it fuck that little, and it, it, you only see the, the for a few seconds, but there was something fucking heartbreaking about that, it, you know, the, yeah. the wee girl's sense of uh, protection. For, mm. You know, because they don't quite understand what's going on in the flat, but instinctively they know to stay out the house. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's just she's got she's got her arms around them and she's looking after them and stuff. And I, I don't know. It's it's it sounds silly because you only see her for a minute, but it's really moving. You know. It's really, I, yeah. I found it really moving. Anyway. And I think as as great as Dave Mackay's performance is, and it's it's not his fault that what happens happens it's joe is just such a good guy that he he's looking out for everyone on his team and he's looking out for liam in particular and i guess because sabine of course because sarah's involved in terms of the the health worker Mm -hmm. aspect but he he really has taken liam under his wing as you you see early on after the football match when it's just them in the van and he's asking him one-on-one you know is everything okay are you keeping clean and Liam kind of you know admits that he's he's struggling a little bit. Yeah. So I think he's you know kind of taken a personal investment in Liam and, and Sabine. So when it turns out that McGowan, who is the big bad gangster, Liam and Sabine effectively owe him money, yeah. and McGowan's taken Liam, then he he runs off to go and get mm-hmm. and find him and find McGowan, played by. David Heyman. David Heyman's just always great <laughs> yeah, in everything he does, but yeah. this in particular, just he's so calm yeah. and so menacing, which is it's it's worse, you yeah. know, than if he was a big brute. When when um when Joe comes shouting at him after he's sat and spoke to Liam, and he's just like just calm down, yeah, yeah, and he's just slowly telling him what he could do to him, yeah. and 
what he would do to his nurse. It's oh, it's so menacing. It's just fantastic from Heyman. McGavin! Oh, oh, fucking touch him. Fucking touch him. Touch that boy and I'll fucking kill you, man. Joe, Joe, behave yourself. Come on. Easy. Let him go, guys. Let him go. Come here. Oh, sorry. Well, listen. I can't be seen to lose face. I'd be suicide. I saw that, said Joe. I'm going to have you, McGowan. All right. Don't be a big daft boy, pal. I'd have you first, and you know that. I'll get fuck all to lose. Yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's, he's a great actor. You know, and, and you know, he, he, he pops up in these, you know, I mean, the, the role of McGowan's not a small role, but he's only, you know, he's only in the screen for about 10 minutes. Um, mm. And, you know, this is a guy who has had his own sort of syndicated. TV show, the the end of the plant um, trial and retribution. I mean, that seemed to run for years, and he was a lead actor yeah. in that. You know, he's been in Hollywood films, he's been in Scotch and Rye, he's been in Peter McDougall plays, he's been in <laughs> fucking all sorts of stuff. You know, and in in, in this role, you know, there's a sort of again, there's feels like there's a kind of fundamental understanding there of because you know when you grow up in Glasgow, like there's there are guys like that around that you might not know but you're sort of aware of or whatever or somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows them and things and they you know they have this sort of air of mystique you know um, mm. you know these fucking you know and they're just fucking thugs and arseholes at the end of the day but but he uh, <laughs> I can say that because I live in Dubai but then a lot of them come to Dubai on holidays maybe I better be careful what I say yeah but, um, no, but he is again understanding of the, the type of character but also the relationship between him and Joe I think you know he's they know they go back years and years I think Joey they Joe even says at one point that he grew up in they, they grew up in the same scheme and yeah. you know they've known each other yeah. since they were little boys and everything and you know he's sort of you, you kind of get the feeling that the going kind of wants doesn't want any sort of bother with Joe because he knows him and maybe he knows what Joe is capable of if he's pushed too yeah. far but equally he likes the idea of manipulating him as well and through Liam he can do that you know yeah because he must have hung around um, for a bit because when he goes to the snooker club mm. one of Joe's guys um, one of Joe's guys sorry one of um, McGowan's guys McGowan's guys says to him you know the last time you were in here you had shite running down your leg mm. and so he must have drank in there and on occasion when he was drinking and obviously made an arse of himself yeah yeah sure yeah, definitely. <laughs> but the thing at that the moment when Joe kind of blows up and he fucking batters them all, and obviously he he thumps McGowan, and then there's a, a <laughs> not sure what happens. I don't know if maybe Peter Mullen has actually accidentally hit David Heyman or what at that moment, but you sort of see Heyman in the back. You know, when Joe's got the baseball bat and he's sort of circling around, you sort of see Heyman at the back and he's got his hand in his cheek, looking a bit surprised, but he doesn't look surprised like maybe you'd expect like some gangster to look if someone had just decked him. <laughs> he looks surprised like he would look like an actor who had been hit by accident. <laughs> 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 um, so effectively, Joe has to do a couple of errands to to get back mm-hmm. the, to write off um, the debt that that Liam and Sabine have. Which, and of course, when Sarah breaks up with him over this, then he goes to tell Liam that that's it. Give you three hundred quid. Yep. It's off. Um, after smashes up McGowan's uh, car <laughs> after yeah. you know the fight that he has, yeah. which I guess leads to the end of the film, mm. which I. I had a little look online and I read a, a review by the American reviewer Roger, Roger Ebert, right. who um, 
who reviewed this film and he loved it right. um and he said often with a film like this you think you know how it's going to end the ending of my name is joe left me stunned mm. i've rarely seen a film where the conclusion is so unexpected and yet in its own way so logical yeah. and inevitable yeah and it's it, it's he's hit the nail on the head there because the ending to this film is just absolutely brutal the last 12 minutes or so yeah. you know joe driven back to drink after what's happened who can blame him yeah to be quite honest yeah. and as you say it is a shock when you you discover this and he just sits down with his bottle of vodka and i think lemonade i think it looks like it they like bars lemonade i think yeah yeah and as you said earlier the he's an angry drunk and the scene of, of when liam comes to see him it's just so heartbreaking because joe's pissed and he just rips into him and it's so realistic because he's speaking so precisely and slowly and it's so methodical the way he's saying you know i hate you i hate your wife i hate your scabby kid if i had a gun i would shoot you all and liam to be fair it's like it's not you joe i know you're not saying this i know it's not you it's the drink but the hatred flowing through joe at that point yeah. and the way he's delivering that it's just oh it's brutal to watch that's what it is i have just fucking cracked it that's what it is that's what, what? it is liam you're fucking dumb Joe, I, hate, I know you don't mean I that, right? You. I hate your scumbag who are fucking right. Joe, fuck off, I man. I hate your scabby fucking way. Joe, don't say anything else. I know it's a drink, Tom. Take you outside, I get a gun, and I put a bullet through you, you're useless fucking he's your scum. What could I do? Hey, what Joe, what could I do? I'd leave any fucking bus. go! Fucking excuses. It's no excuses, Joe. Fuck's sake, excuses I'm telling you the truth. For everything, man. It's all you live off as a fucking excuse. Joe. You are a fucking excuse. Well, this is the thing, because, you know, they, you get a sense that in that moment, Joe is, you know, he's he's obviously, he's had a choice, he's had a chance for happiness with the uh, with um, Sarah. It's all, he's sort of been a victim of his own hubris to some extent. It's all gone wrong. And... The reason it's gone wrong is through Joe's sense of duty to help. And it's a bit of a misguided sense of duty in, in how he decides to try and help him, like you just described, like doing this daft um, sort of courier job for McGowan. But, you know, they really... They, it's It's gone wrong because of what the choices Joe's made. You know what I mean? But in that scene, you yeah. kind of get the sense that he can't accept his own failure and you know the mistakes that he's made that have led to him losing Sarah so he's 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 just he's because he's drunk he's just channeling it all into this you know these horrible things that he's saying to Liam yeah, but then what it ends up is Liam sort of feels that he's got no choice you know like Joe's telling him that he's fucking useless better off without you blah 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 he, he never says it's your fault that I've lost Sarah, he just fucking no. He just it's just fucking horrible to him to the point mm. where Liam ends up. You know, he, he sees uh, McGowan's guys sort of coming to the back of the building, the front of the building, and ends up hanging himself out the clo out the flat window. You know, <laughs> and the, you know, and it sort of joke sort of comes to his senses, tries to help him, but he's too heavy. And then you know, like he's he's Joe's trying to pull them up by the rope that he's got around his neck, which isn't gonna you know, save no. him that way. He's gonna make it fucking worse. Um, yeah, and then and and I think it, it sort of leads to you know it sort of raises a lot of questions about the end of you know the end of the film. You know, you like does you know first of all does do we want Joe to get away with the lie 
that he's telling Sarah. First of all, you know, they've been he's telling her that, you know, they, you know, before Liam comes in and sort of fucks it all up and everything, you know, should should he get away with it? You know, because he's mm. he's he's trying, you know, he's he's obviously he's he's spent all these months trying to have some semblance of a normal life, get his life back on track, you know, and he, then he's met this woman that he's growing really close to really quickly he's fallen in love with her does he does should do we want him to get away with it or do we want him just to be completely honest and then if he and then if he was completely honest would she not would she still react the way that she did you know what i mean yeah that's a very good point i because you are kind of erring just tell her the truth she's going to be mad but then it's kind of going to blow over because surely she's going to see that you're you're doing it to help liam but yeah. it's it's the fact that he's lied to her and then you know lied to her face a couple of times and then when liam comes bursting in you know she's realized well i can't believe a word you say now you know mm-hmm. that's that's yeah, it yeah. you've broken the trust so how can you? Yeah, and he sort of desperately tries to, you know, we have that moment when he comes back to her flat when Maggie's there and he sort of pushes his way in. Mm. And again, sort of, he says sort of one last sort of attempt to reconcile, which fails, you know. Mm. And it's and then the, the other thing is, the other sort of bit of ambiguity about the end of the film is, you know, Liam's killed himself. We, we don't, you know, we leave Sabine and Scott, the wee boy at the funeral. We see Joe and uh, Sarah kind of walking away kind of together although they don't really talk to each other and it's kind of well is Joe really going to just be able to get on with his life now you know I mean he's there's still the matter of this debt that's owed to these gangsters all of whom he has brutally fucking assaulted in their own pub yeah you know so he, yeah he's you know they, he walks away with Sarah maybe they work it out she's pregnant crucially you know maybe she's going to tell him they're always going to be connected whether they're together or not through this baby if she has it um, but is you know can Joe just walk off into the sunset after what he's done you know well that's exactly a question I had um, that you've you've raised there was the fact that obviously McGowan's thugs are coming into the flat Liam knows knows that they're going to kill him and Joe. So that's why he obviously hangs himself to try and save Joe because they're going to fuck off. Great. Yeah, they're going to fuck off there and then. That's Liam's debt now paid. However, it's exactly as you've said. Joe has, especially the guy Alf, headbutted him, smashed a pint glass in his face. Mm. And then I think it's like four whacks of the baseball bat he Mm -hmm. gets. Everyone else has been baseball batted. McGowan's car is fucked. Yeah, (laughs) because... panned in all the windows that's a whole brand new debt yeah exactly. and if he was going to break uh, liam's legs over two grand fuck knows what he's, you know, he's going to kill joe mm-hmm. and yeah you're right i don't understand how he's going to escape that because there's no way they're just going to let him off with that no for sure and, and you know the mcgowan says a few times in the exchanges with joe i can't just i can't just let liam away with it you know they yeah you know there's a, a reputation to maintain here and what will people say if i just let them off with that fuck i can't do it you know yeah um yeah i have to save face yeah so you know so that sort of indicates that if he's got if he if he can't be seen to lose face over a debt of like 2000 pounds whatever he definitely can't be seen to lose face over what joe's done in the pub and then to his car and everything else you know um but then but again you know do, is the question I'd ask, you know, is is Joe the is he the the righteous hero of the story? Because he fucking mm. he makes a lot of fucking really really poor choices in the film. You know, I th- I think we're sort of on his side from the beginning because we can see that he's trying to um he's you know he's trying to stay clean. He's stopped drinking. He's trying to change his life in any way that he can. He's trying to help other people. But 
the choices that he makes in the film are fucking terrible. You know, the the choice of attacking the the guy from the social. I mean, that you yeah. know, it's, you know, the the choice of uh, of um, taking the of doing the the courier job, the choice of lying to Sarah, and mm. you know, in 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 that moment before Liam knocks the door, when they've kind of reconciled, he thinks he's got away with it. You know, what I mean, like the expression yeah. on his face is, you know, either you see him when he's when he's giving her a a, a cuddle, and the look in his face says, "Well, thank fuck for that." You know, yeah. you know, we're back on track and everything for like a few minutes until Liam chaps the door and knocks it all down again. And I'm like, well, you know, does Joe, you know, he definitely doesn't deserve whatever justice might be waiting for him at the hands of McGowan and those guys. But does he deserve a happy ending based on the choices he's made? That's, that, yeah, true. that's the question, right? You know? No, it's a very valid point. You're right. He is uh, you know, trying to do the right thing, you think. But yeah, he does make a lot of bad decisions mm. and brings it all upon himself, effectively. Exactly. He's, he's you know, he's, he's a victim of his own hubris. Um, the other kind of moment of, of slight rage is when he throws the ring that he bought Sarah mm. into the, the water. Yeah. <clears throat> I did read that Mullen wasn't happy about that scene because he said that Joe knows the value of money. Yeah. So he's not just going to throw this in the river. But then again, it shows just that that brief second of rage yeah. that he has. His emotion. That he just yeah. has to, yeah. So he just launches it, which, you know, I think is, is understandable for the character. It kind of, it, it, it does sit right. He's not going to be like, oh, well, I better hold on to this then. Yeah, yeah, to, to your point. I'll go and get my money back. When you see it in, in situ, it completely adds up. You know, we've already seen yeah. him lose his patience before with, the, you know, with this guy from the social we see him in flashback losing his patience when he's drunk because the girl he's with is laughing because he's, his key won't work in the door for whatever reason. You know what I mean? So it does sort of make sense, especially when you put it all together with the whole film, that scene. Yeah. You know? um, we've often discussed on the, the Swally, it's usually Edinburgh that we discussed this about, or mm. the Highlands, but um, about how films can make Scotland look beautiful. And I think Glasgow in particular, and God help the girl, Glasgow yeah. look beautiful. Um, it's no surprise that the Glasgow Tourist Board weren't involved in the funding of this film because um, it doesn't look the nicest, does it? No. Well, the, the, the scene when um, Joe's running to McGowan's pub, I, I know mm. that road that's uh, Saracen High Street in Possum mm. Park. Um, that's where my granny used to do her shopping. <laughs> so I know, ah, I know, lovely. I know that little corner uh, quite well um, and you know sure, anybody who knows the north of Glasgow doesn't need me to tell them that uh, Postle Park is not it's not the most uh, gentrified nicest part of Glasgow um, you know to be diplomatic but yeah but having said that you know there's there's some good shots of um, Kelvin Grove Park you know like when they're when that scene that we just spoke about when yeah you know when Joe throws a river into the into the Kelvin and everything and you know it's um shows a river throws a river throws a ring into the Kelvin I should say yeah it's I think it's, it, they don't sort of try and show kind of deprivation and rough areas and you know they I think all it's very very true to life I think you know mm. the way they present the city you know we we never go into the city center at all no. crucially um, I think it's it's sort of filmed. I think it's filmed kind of partic the south side and a couple of scenes in the north of Glasgow, like that one in Saracen High Street. But um, but it's not like it's not. Oh, look how deprived this area is. It's it's just it's more. Look at the struggles that some of the people who live in this area are facing. You know, which is uh, I think it's it's a, it's a much smarter way of telling the story. Do you think McGowan purposely gave Joe uh, a Jeep Cherokee? 
to pick up the drugs because obviously that's a car that stands out quite a bit in yeah. if you're driving it from the north down to glasgow um at that time yep. i would have said yep. and of course you can't even work the alarm rather than give him i don't know a ford sierra or something you know it, was that cherokee did they need a big car because it's fucking full of drugs you know why not get a transit van or something mm. um do you think he gave him that car because he wanted him to get caught it's maybe i don't know i mean but i'm not so sure because the money that Joe's got, McGowan Gate, we know, although we don't see it, the money that he's got mm. to buy the ring and the earrings and everything is uh, money that, that McGowan gave him for himself. The, the yeah. 500 quid. So I, I, I don't think so. But I mean, that scene with, <laughs> with the postman, yeah. <laughs> you know, who helps him to turn the alarm off is fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very good in terms of, yeah, tell me the registration number. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a yeah, good bit of a comedy there in terms of that. So do you, do you want to put My Name is Joe through our Swally Awards or do you have a few more points to bring up? No, I, I think, to be honest, I mean, we've covered quite a lot, I think. I mean, the only the only other point I'd written down is that I think to if you were asked someone to maybe describe the film in terms of My Name is Joe or, or what you read online, you know, it's, it's about a, it's a bleak tale about you know, an alcoholic mm. on the dole in Scotland, but it's not. It's it's, it's about love and loyalty and, and mm. friendship and hardship yeah, and sure. yeah. failing and and getting by. It, it's it's so much more than just the the kind of brief description you see about. Oh, it's about an alcoholic in uh, in Glasgow. Yeah, it's it's so much more than that. And I wish you know people. I, I guess it's the same with a lot of Ken Loach films. And the same with Sweet Sixteen. What what's it about? Oh, it's just about this wee Ned. Yeah. Um, selling drugs. It, no, it's nothing. You know, it's <laughs> it's so much more than that. It's um, yeah. I wish it could be described in that way that people would understand just how beautiful and and how deeply absorbing and how heartbreaking this film actually is. Okay, right. Okay, so let's uh, let's put my name is Joe through a swally awards. Okay, then what have we got first, Greg? Okay, so the the James Cosmo Award for being an everything Scottish. <sighs> You got a, you got. That's a, a tough one. A rich tapestry of people to pick from. There. Well, that's it. I mean, I kind of. I mean, I've, I'm discounting Rab Affleck because he's, you know, he's got one line. Um, I'm kind of stuck between Mackay, Lewis, and Heyman. I, I went for Dave Mackay mm-hmm. for this. Yeah, I went with Heyman, but I think that mm. I don't think that. Gary Lewis deserves the awards, but I think he's maybe a bit of a contender for it. Yeah. He turns up in a lot of things. Um, yeah. I mean, it was only a few years after this that he was in Billy Elliot, which I know is not a Scottish film, but it was a mm. massive film. You know, huge movie yeah. for the UK. Yeah. Um, okay, next one then is the Bobby the Barman Award for Best Pub. So we've got McGowan Snooker Hall and then the boozer that he's in near the end. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd go with the boozer at the end, although it's full of broken glass now and, <laughs> you know, a bit of shards of baseball bat. But yeah, that, that looked like, I mean, you didn't get to see enough of it, but from what I saw, it looked like a decent enough boozer. Although, are you more of a snooker hall man? Um, I've written none. I wouldn't want to go into any of those pubs, to be honest. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> <In this stage. laughs> that's fair enough. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I'm too old for that shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, next one then. The Jake McQuillan Your Teasoot Award. Well, what did you go for? I mean, it's probably the one obvious answer. Yeah, I went with Joe sticking the nut and mojo before, uh, yeah. before it all kicks off. Smashing a pint glass over his head. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, just for good measure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly what I've got. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, next one then is the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. That's a lot to choose there from. So, what did choose. you go for? I, I, I just went for Sabine and the surgery because there are many, yeah. many an oath uttered in that scene. <laughs> what did you go for? Um, the two I liked are probably the two very near the start. It's it's when speaking about the shirts and um, he says, "Where are they? Are they in the pipeline?" And Joe says, "I'll give you a pipeline. I'll stick one up your fucking arse." <laughs> it's uh, regards to the shirts. Um, but I also liked when they get to the match and the other team has got West Germany shirts on. Yeah. And they're having to take them off. And you just hear Joe's kind of walking away as he says it. So you only catch it. But he goes, we'll beat them with a fucking shirt. <laughs> yeah. And I just like thought that was a nice. So that was my yeah two kind of uh, <laughs> favourites that I liked. Yeah, but there's a lot to choose from. We didn't really talk about the football scenes that much. Um, but uh, mm. the line, we, we're always West Germany. <laughs> This is like this is like nearly ten years after the Berlin Walls <laughs> fucking knocked down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, a particular line I did like um, uh, Stephen McCall in that that scene when um, it's what's happening. He's pulling my shorts, <laughs> and Joe says, it "Doesn't matter if he's pulling your tadger. Just get on with it." <laughs> Um, okay, next then, the Hugh McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. Well, yes, um, obviously, there's just one brief uh, scene that we, uh, yeah, yeah um, yep, so yep, we'll we for move on from there. Archetypal Scottish moment. I went with, I mean, there's there's two, really, that I, I went with. I liked the, the, there's some beautiful uses of Scottish language in this. So, the Tadger mm-hmm. that I've just mentioned and I like the when Joe and Liam are coming back in the van and McGowan's boys are at the, the house and Joe says, are you wanting honours? Yeah. And Liam says, no, no, I don't need honours. I need you to be a witness. And then when Sarah is sitting with uh, uh, the parents of uh, the kid and the, the father says, is his eyes a bit scaly? Because my brother <laughs> scaly as fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's a really funny Just scene. little uses. Yeah. So the use of some Scottish language, but I mean, it's it's really, it's the, the bagpiper that sells shortbread to Japanese tourists <laughs> that is the uh, probably the archetypal Scottish moment. Yeah, for sure. It only was three songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good one. I mean, what I went, the one I went for, which to me just feels, and it's it, it's a line that somebody gives, and it's the, it's the scene when Joe's team find out that they've got to play with their shirts off because the other team are the home team and they're playing as West Germany. And uh, one of the boys is saying to the referee, I'm always Franz Beckenbauer. I'm always Franz Beckenbauer. And the referee says, just get the strip off Franz. It's <laughs> just something really Scottish about that. It just really slays me every time I hear it. <laughs> just get the strip off Franz. Um Okay, last the award then uh, is the Sean Connery Award uh, for who won the film. A pretty clear choice, I think. I mean, I'd give a shout out to Dave Bakai mm-hmm. for yeah, yeah. brilliant performance, but of course, there's only one yeah, winner, isn't there? It's obviously Mullen. It's Mullen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just absolutely breathtaking performance. So good. I mean, I wonder. I mean, I wonder what you know. You you read about actors who like. I was listening to the Rewatchables the other day. I don't know. I don't think you listened to it. So I know you don't like her, but it was the one with. Jennifer Lawrence on it talking about uh, Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, and yeah, um, we'll listen to that. 
they got on to, I can't remember the context, but they were talking about sort of method acting. And I also heard, I'd, I'd been listening to the Brett Easton Ellis podcast of late, and he interviews Andrew McCarthy, who plays Clay mm. in Less Than Zero, which is based on his book. And they're, they're mm. talking about Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy's talking about a, a fight that he, not like a physical fight, but a row that he had with uh, Vincent, is it, or if, what did he say his name? The guy from Fumilto Jacket that plays... Um, oh, D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. They, has, they had him law and order or something like that. And um, and McCarthy's like, you know, I can't be fucking arsed with method acting. And Lawrence was much <laughs> the same. He's like, you know, I, just want, I want people to show up, you know, play their part really well and then go away again. I can't even bother with all the method. I was thinking about... I was thinking, because I've listened to those both those podcasts this week when I was watching this and I was thinking I wonder what Mullen's method is and I wonder if you know when he I wonder what he has to do to get into if he can just get into the character of Joe if he could just get into the character mm. or if it if he's got like a process like a he needs to sort of get himself into it and then how easily can he just sort of leave it at the end of the day when they when they're finished filming mm. or at the end of the shoot you know what I mean? It's, I'd be, I, would, I would love to ask him what his, uh, you know, if he's just able to, well, that's it's like kind of hanging up his tools at the end of the day and way home and he's just himself yeah. or if he needs to sort of uh, kind of decompress after playing such an intense character. Yeah, it's a tricky one because I know there's been a lot in the press recently uh, about Brian Cox speaking about Jeremy Strong mm. on Succession yeah. and Cox saying that, you know, he's a great actor, but he's so method and you cannot sustain that. It's going to, kill you and you know it's effectively said he delivers such great performances but i worry about him because how can you do that be so method and as cox says i just turn up say my lines and then fuck off yeah yeah. and that's the way he did it but yeah worries about it so i don't know yeah you have to i don't know much about peter mullen's methods to be honest i'd be yeah i'd be very interested to find out i'd have to have a a little bit of a deep dive and have a look at some interviews that he's done and see if um gives anything away Mm -hmm. um well yeah i mean thank you very much gary from doric skateboards for asking us to look at my name is joe absolutely brilliant film Mm. so yeah i don't think i'll be watching it again for a while though (laughs) no yeah i think i need a bit of a break now for um to go back into it yeah yeah i think probably it's worth uh just sort of dropping in obviously we've been talking about um alcoholism and addiction and stuff and if it's and if you're struggling with something like that there are some good uh if you're in scotland there's some good um, agencies that can help you particularly a uh, drink line mm. scotland um they've got a free helpline uh, which is open every day through the week uh and the weekends um, and it's a 0800 number 800 if um if you feel that you're struggling with the old booze and you want some help, yeah. give them a call. Wonderful. Thanks very much, Greg. So, Nikki, uh, the episode before this one that uh, Gary chose for My Name is Joe, I had chosen the documentary about Aberdeen's glorious uh, Cup Winners' Cup victory in Gothenburg once in this lifetime, which means it's back to you to choose the content of the next episode. So what are we watching? Thanks very much, Greg. Well, I think we both agree we maybe need something a little bit light-hearted mm. to follow. Although my name is Joe. So we've covered a few Scottish police shows on the Swally, but nothing quite like this. So this long-running show has just come to an end after eight series, but I'd like to look at the first series, and it's only five episodes of BBC Scotland's Scott Squad. Oh, right. I've never watched it. 
great. No, I, I'm the same. I've never really watched it, but I've seen enough clips <laughs> yeah, online. Too, yeah. They always need to be doing the round, especially the guy that... Um, who is it he says he is? I can't even remember his name now. Oh, um, he says he's... Um, ex-Hibs and Celtic footballer. Uh, is it Liam? Uh, no. Oh, Lee Griffiths. Lee Griffiths. Yeah, I knew... I said Liam, yeah. but I wasn't far off with Liam. Yeah. Yeah. Lee Griffiths. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's available on iPlayer. It's I don't think it's available on YouTube, but I found it on a... Um, other website that I'll send you the link to. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we're going to uh, have a look at Scott Squad. Awesome. Um, okay, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to get in touch with us with anything you'd like us to cover or anything you've seen in the news that you think's funny, then you can email us on cultureswally at gmail.com or you can follow us on the socials on Insta at CultureSwallyPod or on Twitter at SwallyPod. And Greg, we have a lovely website as well, don't we? Uh, we do. You can join, you can find us at CultureSwally.com um, where there's some uh, essays about Scottish horror and Scottish television and links to other episodes. Uh, come and check us out. And if you enjoyed Gary's choice of My Name is Joe, then head over to DorickSkateboards.com and have a look at what they have to offer. I mean, and use the head promo over code Swally. Enjoy. <laughs> My name is Joe, still going. Well, that's Check true. Yeah. Fucking great stuff there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, just head over, yeah. yeah. Uh, wonderful. Right, uh, are you up to anything else exciting today? Uh, no, it's 11pm here. Um <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, I'm I'm well and truly in my cups, so I think I'll be uh, I think I'll be retiring to bed um, once I tidy up my little um, workstation here. Lovely. Well, have a lovely evening. <laughs> Enjoy your bed, and I'll see you next time. Until next time. There's a wee woman there that night, tiny, tiny wee frail woman, who whispered, whispered everything, and she says something that was so simple. She says, "I can no longer drink with safety," and that really touched me. Even in the state I was in, I was in a real state, and she looked me right in the eyeballs and she said, remember, you are not alone. And I looked at this woman and I thought, you're me. This wee woman gave me the courage to start the 12 steps with shanks there. And I'm no stupid. I know that I've got a long way to go. I take one day at a time and I, and I pray and I just hope to Christ I get through it. And I know there could be all sorts around the corner, but I'm really, really glad to be here. I'm very grateful to be sober. Thank you.